Sorry, I had the wrong language settings um, on my microphone, so let me start over. Good morning, church. God is good. Jesus is kind. Thank you for your prayers. Uh, my family is going to Japan because Jesus loves Japan. Amen. So some of you know um, that we are just moments away from uh, a one-way ticket to Japan. I remember I thought, wow, what a great deal on these plane tickets. And then it dawned on me, this is a one-way ticket. That's why it feels like it's half the price. And we have to actually be out of our, our house by Tuesday, the 31st. So things are moving very fast. Our emotions are very close to the... Uh, the surface, and I'm so blessed to be able to share God's word with you in Psalm chapter 8. And we have a lot of ground to cover, but uh, you're probably going to get a whole lot on the front end, and then I'll probably rush through the rest, the rest of it, just so we can get to the last verse as we just take a, a missional focus, not just a local mission, but as we look at the global mission of God's church um, one thing I, I do want to say before we officially, you know, get started, I guess, is, you know, one thing that as we went to Japan, it's been three years ago now, and as we've learned over time is uh, we've grown to appreciate um, the aspect of honor, you know, in Japanese culture. I mean, it's hardwired into their language that you speak to people with uh, different um, Nouns and even verbs if they're older, you know, than you. I mean, even if they're a year older than you, you use a more honorable way to speak. And so I just wanted to take time in, in light of that just to honor, you know, my pastors. Um, it's hard to believe that I'm as old as Randy was when I met him at 20 years old in 2006 at McDonald's. I was the cheap date. And... Um, I remember thinking, man, this is, you know, Randy, he's this old, wise person. And now I'm his age that he was, and I don't feel old and wise. And yet I have more gray hair than you did at 37. But I don't think you had four kids at 37. So that's probably what, what did it. And, and not only do I want to honor uh, our pastors, but also, you know, their wives, not as a way of formality, but if you talk to our pastors, they will be sure to tell you their wives are much better than they are, you know. And so when I think about Randy and, and Cherie, if you don't know, that's actually how you pronounce her name, but we're the only ones who say it right. Everyone else is wrong. Um, when we came to, uh, you know, really, I've been a part of this fellowship of this people in this church in some ways for 16 years. So I went from, you know, a 20-year-old kid to a gray-headed man um, before our very eyes. But you guys were so kind in those early years. We had barely been married. And just the simple act of just opening uh, 
your home to us and just allowing us to serve in Awana's a ministry, some of the first ministry that my wife and, ever, uh, and I ever served at. It's been such a blessing. And, and even though our lives have been so intertwined, maybe more so than we like them to be intertwined, and I will say that to go through similar valleys together, um, it's so good to be reminded that, you know, my wife and I are not alone. And I'll say that, um, that means no in Japanese. Uh, I'll say that to see you guys serve Jesus and serve us, not just us, but all of us in the midst of a hard time has been the greatest Um, been the greatest defense of the gospel and has been the strongest um, argument for the resurrection of Jesus um, more than any apologetic book I read. Sorry, Paul. Um, more than irreducible complexity or all these other theories. Um, seeing your service over the years, scandal-free, um, and to continue to love God and press in when I know it can be uncomfortable uh, has made me such a better person and has shaped me so much. So, moving on, um, Justin and Misty, you know, you guys have been such a blessing. And just so you know, Justin, when, when you first would preach, you know, you, you weren't an elder or, or pastor, and I'd hear you preach. And I'd always write in my notes, Justin and whatever in the date in your sermon. But at some point, I started writing Pastor Justin. So just so you know that now when I take notes when you preach, it doesn't say Justin. It says Pastor Justin. But um, I make mention of this because as we get ready to go overseas, um, we are a product of the ministry um, of the pastors here, and we carry that with us. It's hard to believe that 10 years ago... Um, uh, our marriage was in a horrible place, and um, you guys pressed in and loved us and walked with us through that storm, and now we can say that the last 10 years of our marriage have been the greatest, and our uh, lives have been able to help counsel other marriages and to help strengthen them, and if our marriage, my wife and I's marriage, has blessed anyone in this church, it's because of Justin and Misty. Um, that we're here, you know, and that we were able to reconcile and move forward. And it, it never fails anytime it's my, um, our anniversary, you know, as my wife and I talk about our marriage and our story, we think like, we need to text Justin and Misty because I don't know if we would be celebrating this anniversary if it wasn't for them. So thank you guys so much. I mean, um, Justin helped me move into my first house, you know, I don't know if you remember sliding the washers around on the ice um, as we moved into our first house. You know, it was a double wide, it wasn't a single wide. I got a double wide. It's always weird when your house comes with a VIN number, but you know, <laughs> you helped us move into our first house. Anytime stuff would, was going wrong, I mean, you have crawled under there and helped try to warm, you know, pipes up and everything and, and Misty, um, Although I hate when my kids compare me to you when I make peanut butter jelly sandwiches and stuff. Um, there's no one more that we trust, you know, with our kids than you. And to know uh, when I was going to school and you would watch our kid, kids for me and things like that, it's just we couldn't be here today 
uh, without you. And, and Paul and Reagan, um, when you guys came into our church, it was like, oh, there's like, we got youth group now, you know. There's another, some young people, and y'all didn't have any kids. And uh, I'll never forget um, opening up God's word at y'all's house between, I guess, Winniewood, Davis area, the way y'all opened your home. And some of those uh, times were so formational for me and my walk as we all were just hungering for God's word. And uh, as Paul and I would share awkward glances across the room trying not to laugh as Ronnie walked us through Song of Solomon. And... uh, which you've never, if you've never gone through the book of Songs of Solomon with, with Ronnie Qualls, you're missing out. Um, and uh, the way, you know, there's been times of, I've leaned so much on your teaching, is, and it's made me so much more unashamed to take a stance on God and creation and God's order. There's been times I've sat in this church and your sermons have fired me up and got me in trouble with family members. Um, making people mad, you know, with, with my boldness. And just the way both of you have loved on the high school and college students in this church and um, the way that fruit will continue to bear as we see some of them go on to different churches and be in ministry. It's just, man, we're so blessed to have all of you here. So I just wanted to say that because, you know, this is my last time to, to preach at the church for a while. So I wanted to make sure to honor um, all of you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your truth. Um, We thank you for making your hearts receptive to it. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate your word, Lord, that you would show us its meaning and that you would apply it to our heart and give us the grace and the strength to walk it out, Lord, that we would be every Sunday that we gather, that we would walk away from that Sunday just a little more like you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know... I think it's very fitting that uh, I've kind of shared this history of my faith and my relationship with God is so tied up into the community that's in this church. And that's exactly where Psalm 8 starts off. It says, O Lord, our Lord. The psalmist didn't say, O Lord, my Lord. He said, O Lord, our Lord. What a joy that I've been in, in a relationship with the God of the universe, with, along with everyone else in this local body. Martin Luther um, said this about the Psalms. He said, in the Psalms, we, we find not only what one or two saints have done, but what he has done, who is the head of all saints, and what all the saints still do, the attitude they take toward God, toward friends and enemies, the way they conduct themselves and all dangers and sufferings. All this beside the divine and wholesome and commandments of every kind that are contained there. Praise God for the Psalms, right? I mean, when you feel like you have nowhere else to go, you could find a Psalm. In the Psalms, there's, the gospel is in the Psalms. The glory of God is in the Psalms. As we pick up in Psalms chapter 8, um, you know, uh, Psalm, the the Book one of the Psalms is known as like chapter one all the way through chapter 41. That's known as book one of the Psalms. Chapter one and two are just an introduction. You have this idea of God's uh, promise to bring an anointed king for Israel. We know that's going to be Jesus. He's the promised king that is a descendant of of David. Um, As you move into Psalm chapter three, all the way through 14, 
is David crying out for deliverance and restoration from his enemies. And Psalms 8 is right in the middle um, of that section. Because, well, Psalms 3 through 7 is David crying out. Um, and then Psalms, you know, 9 through 14 continue that. But right here in, in the middle, we have this break of this song of comfort and victory. You know, some people believe the Israelites would sing this um, to encourage themselves while they are working the wine press. Um, there's some who believe that maybe this was written, you know, after David uh, slew Goliath. But we know it's a song of celebration. And it bookends verse 1 all the way to verse 9 with how majestic is your name in all the earth. How majestic is your name in all the earth. But let's go ahead and just read it in its entirety. Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than angels, than heavenly beings, was what some translations may say, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hand. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So the psalm begins with and ends with this idea of the fullness of God's glorious name in all the earth. And I want to say if if God's name is glorious and it is, it's majestic, it's worthy of praise, it's worthy to be adored. If his name is that glorious, how much more is his person? But because we're going to end on this very same refrain in verse nine, we're going to move forward to the next section, which is God's creation contrasted with the lowliness of man and the peculiar truth that God is even mindful of us. It says you've set your glory above the heavens. You know, God speaks to us, of course, through his word, through his son, Jesus, as his final message. And he also is good and gracious enough to speak to us through creation. Um, a lot of times we call creation uh, like a general revelation, and we call the scripture, you know, a special or a specific revelation. And that's helpful um, when we're trying to categorize things theologically. But don't, don't forget and don't neglect to realize that there's nothing uh, less than spectacular about general revelation. The order of the universe, even though it's under the, the grip of, of sin and brokenness, there's this order to the world that speaks to one creator, right? There's too much harmony for there to be some competing deities out there in the cosmos. Creation preaches to us. Now, from creation alone, you're probably not going to learn about penal substitution or you know, all these other things, but they can be a catalyst especially for the Christian. You know, sometimes you should walk outside on a clear night and just look up at the stars and be brought low and be made humble. 
You know, the psalmist mentions, the look, I look at your heavens, the moon, and the stars. And some commentators believe that he intentionally doesn't reference the sun here because it was during the night that the psalmist wrote this song. And it reminds us that in the darkest moments of our life is when it is important to consider the goodness of God the most. The psalmist says, consider the works, consider the works, meditate on them. This word uh, can also speak towards experiencing the works of God, approving. And then we're talking about his works as in his work of creation and even could be translated to make to enjoy. So I would say experience God's creation and consider it until it brings you some measure of joy. But how much more privileged are we who have believed in Jesus and we have the full picture, we know the creator by name and he has a relationship with us, that we're not left, right? Even when I think about Japan, they do have... um, Amen. Okay. He doesn't. He does that at family devotion too. Um, there's this worship of nature, you know, and there's a, a lots to keep up with. And I thought, man, if they could just know the the one God who made it all, and how much more privileged am I that I can go out and experience and appreciate nature, but then I could use that as a catalyst to remind myself of the gospel. It could be as simple as looking at the stars on a clear night and thinking Jesus brought that into existence and told it to burn. And he knows every star by name and there's there's innumerable. I can't even count the stars. Then I think about Jesus further as I'm considering the heavens. And I think, and he chose to leave the glory of heaven and to come to earth And actually walk and travel by foot under our closest star, the sun. And he felt the pain and discomfort of traveling under the heat of the sun. And now I've taken general revelation and I've considered the the glory of God's creation. And now I'm all the way into the incarnation and the life of Jesus. And I'm able to take a general uh, common grace of God and apply it in a way that postures my heart towards humbly praising Jesus. I love that God speaks to us through creation, that our happiest moments are not when everything is about us. That you talk to anyone, whatever worldview they have, and their moments of electrifying joy and satisfaction come when you're almost completely unaware of yourself and taken back by something so much bigger and stronger and more glorious than you. There's been times I've been face-to-face with the beauty of God's creation, just being able to travel and go to different places, that it's just uh, such a comfort to say, I know the God who made this. But I would say the one creation and moment that makes everything else pale into comparison is the glory of seeing a new life come into the world. Amen. I always say that my truest moments of worshiping Jesus have been in the delivery room. Um, You know, it's funny because as a selfish little kid, I thought, well, my birthday was the greatest day in the world, you know. Now, this joke doesn't go as well here, but I was born on October 31st. Y'all know what that is? 
Reformation Day, right? Every church always says Halloween, and then I rebuke them and say, no, Reformation Day. As a kid, I didn't know that, you know, and I would knock on doors and get extra candy. I'm like, this is my birthday. There's no way anything could be better. Everyone is focusing on me. Then I became a parent. And I thought, wow, that was such a cheap, frivolous little glimmer of joy, my birthday. And it's, it pales in comparison to the joy of seeing my child brought into the world. Which, when you think about it, is their first birthday, and they come out beat up, a bunch of strangers poking them. It's kind of a rough birthday party. Um, but when I behold the beauty of God's creation, it's like I'm hearing an echo of where true satisfaction lies, that it's outside of myself. Creation is glorious. It preaches to us to sit down, to be humble, and to look outside of ourselves. But the psalmist also throws in um, this line in verse 2, which may seem strange. It says, out of the mouth of babies and infants, perfect timing, you have established strength because of your foes. And you know Jesus literally quotes from this in Matthew 21. During his triumphal entry, he's turned over um, the money changers like tables. He took time to make a whip. And there's these children saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders are rebuking this moment. You know, how dare these children worship this madman driving us out of the temple? And Jesus says, well, have you not read? And then he, he quotes to them Psalm 8, chapter 2, out of the mouths of babies and infants you have established strength. When I look at this, I'm just reminded that God's kingdom compared to the kingdom of this world is an upside down kingdom. And God doesn't work according to our strengths, according to our desired timeline, but he works in ways that gives him all the glory, gives him all the glory. I think sometimes I struggle with leaving America. And as we get closer, you talk about cold feet, man. My feet are dead. They have no movement in them. It gets very fearful. We were at the Japanese embassy in Houston on Friday, and um, the girls were so excited, especially Jojo, especially Sammy. We told Sammy, hey, there's people here who speak Japanese, so you finally get to, like, speak Japanese, and she was all about it. So we get to this huge building on the 30th floor, and there's this Latino guy running the security checkpoint, the metal detector, and Sammy just runs up to him and goes, Ohio gozaimasu! And he's like, oh, put your backpack over there and walk through. And I'm like, no, like, don't think he's Japanese, Sammy. But, you know, as we go there and I'm, I'm like so nervous to even try to speak Japanese, y'all guys can't correct me. It's not as bad in front of you. And I start thinking like, I have such a handle on the English language that I'm able to make a living off of using it artfully. And in Japanese, I might, I might have the vocabulary of a three-year-old. That's probably a stretch. And sometimes I fear, like, is this the equivalent of me burying my talent? You know, when Jesus tells that parable, I'm like, I have this gift. I'm able to impact and reach these people. And that's not going to get me very far in Japan because it's the wrong language and the wrong culture. But then this verse reminds me that God uses the foolish to shame the wise and the weak to shame the strong. 
And then if this is a, a situation that's going to make me more dependent on Jesus and less dependent on my gifts, then it's good for me. If it's a situation that's going to make me more desperate for God to work in spite of my uh, inability to, to master the language, then it's good for me. Because there is people lining up to perform at the next you know, Christian music concert. There's people, as gross as it sounds, fighting over the opportunity to be the camp speaker at some of these camps. And I noticed no one was fighting over each other to get on a plane to go to Japan. I thought, well, man, there's something that's wide open for, for me to do. There's no fighting over that. And me going there will be the equivalent of being an infant and a babe. And I hope that out of my mouth will be praise to Jesus. As we transition into this next verse, I want to remind us that we must do more than just believe God is. That God requires much more of us than just believing that he is. We must have faith that he cares and that he rewards those who seek him. That not just the object of our faith, but the nature of our faith matters so much. The psalmist goes on as he's painted this beautiful picture of God's creation. I mean, it's almost like he describes the cosmos as God's finger painting. He says, when I look at the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, just showing how intimately involved God is with creation. He didn't just wind up a clock and just let it go and see what happens. He's intimate. It's his handiwork. He then says, what is man that you are mindful of him. Sammy, will you bring me that? Will you be mindful of me and bring me that water right there? Now, don't try to own this moment too much. Just hand me the water and go back to your seat. Thank you. Thank you. God cares. God cares. What a sobering thought. If it's true, church, then it's true every time, every day, every situation, every culture, God cares. As we think about preaching the gospel and being with the people and and the contextualization, sometimes it has to happen to communicate the gospel in Japan. We're reminded that the the good thing about the true gospel when you have a biblical grasp of it is it applies anywhere, right? You could take a prosperity gospel to a developing country and you could do pretty well. Hey, you know, you trust in Jesus, you get clean water or shelter and we can give these things for you. And you could grow a church really fast that way. But going to a place like Japan, uh, that opportunity to, to, to do a mercy ministry like that and then just try to trick them into believing in Jesus is, is not quite, you know, as possible. You have to have more of a holistic view of the gospel of Man's sin and rebellion and the goodness of, of God and, and Jesus coming and the substitution and, and all those things because that's the ultimate evidence that God cares. Because if I'm going to look people in the face and tell them God cares and they could be going through the most horrible situation, they could be in the most horrible circumstances, how do you know it's true, Dylan? How do you know? Because Jesus is the proof. And I don't mean to get ahead of myself, but that is where we're going. He says, what is man? The Hebrew word is enosh, sinful. What is sinful, weak, miserable man that you are mindful of him? God is mindful of you. God cares for you. 
you live long enough, you will encounter a season where fear and doubt will bully you from even considering to rest on this promise. That this promise that God cares will seem so far out of reach that you don't even know how to begin to get there. Martin Luther said this about storms and life. He said, the storm winds teach us to speak with earnestness and open the heart and pour out what lies at the bottom of it. And that's what you see the psalmist doing time and time again. You know, uh, I just want to share personally how this scripture really is true and what it looks like to take this theological position that God cares How does that actually look like when you practically walk it out? This is theology applied. You know, in 2020 is when my family's heart began to beat for the mission work in Japan. I was talking to um, Ryan Powell, who was in France, you know, for 10 years for our church support. I'm talking to these other people and they're kind of freaking me out with the stuff they're saying, you know, because it's it's all just like connecting the dots in my mind. But towards the end of 2020, uh, we found ourselves, my family found ourselves in a season of, of heartache. And I did struggle and, some, and, and failed to believe that God cared for me at times. First um, came JoJo's diagnosis. Uh, I remember it was in October 2020, and we're going to uh, the children's psychologist. And I remember my wife and I were on the elevator, and we're kind of wondering what we're going to hear, you know, since autism is a spectrum, you know, they now put it at, you know, level one, level two, or level three, um, which was formerly known as severe autism. But level three was not even on our radar. It was like we were more so debating, is he going to be level one or level two? And when we get there, um, our whole world was turned upside down, you know. Um, I'm speaking to where I was then. I'm not here now, by the grace of God. But I felt lost. I was in a fog. Um, I can't explain what it felt like, especially with my personality type. I'm a, you know, let's face it, I write poetry, so you know I'm a feeler, you know. I I feel very deeply, and I tried to get my arms around something that was so big. I tried to process something that was going to be a lifelong journey. I tried to understand something that was so unpredictable. All we heard from the doctor was he was level 3 ASD and nonverbal. And so in my flesh, right, and I'm thankful for the people in this church who would send gentle words of encouragement and reminders. Um, But in my flesh, I began to wonder, God, do you care? Uh, I was grieving every milestone that I'd already imagined in my head, right? Um, What it would look like when he graduated or if he would like, you know, play sports, um, uh, his first job, you know, would he get married and have a family of his own? It was this long painful process of just letting those dreams go because you know when our child is born we already begin to have everything mapped out how we think it's going to go some nights i would cry bitter tears wondering who's going to take care of jojo um when my wife and i are gone right because at this time uh we didn't know i mean jojo was Three and a half, he would not say a word. He would not respond to his name. Um, We had very little connection with him, what we felt like on an emotional level. Um, And so there was times that I would grieve so much in those midnight hours that I I promise you, I almost felt like I had lost my son. 
And I would crawl out of the bed at two in the morning and go lay down in his bed with him just to listen to him, his heart beat and to feel him breathe and remind myself, no, like this is a lie. You have not lost your son. And it's almost like I was able to really see Jojo as God's beautiful creation, fearfully and wonderfully made for the first time. I was so prideful during these first months of, of, of becoming a special needs dad that I actually thought maybe God did this so I can fix Jojo. It's like, I'm going to be consistent enough and I'm going to love him enough and work with him enough. But now, um, almost three years later, I see God. Um, God gave me a special needs son to fix God was cared for me so much. God cares for you so much that he'll do whatever it takes to make you more like Jesus. And who am I that he would care for me enough to give me a son that would teach me how to be more selfless, that would make me less critical of other parents and more compassionate, a son that would chip away at my impatience, So when that socially awkward kid at the end of my concert is holding up the line, talking about Mario for 30 minutes, I would lean in and give him all of my attention. I never would have done that before. Wow. God, you care enough to do whatever it takes to make us more like Jesus. That's how I define God's care. It doesn't mean that you live a life uh, not plagued with broken relationships and illness and um, things that might affect the body or affect the mind. No, it means that God cares for you enough to do whatever it takes to make you more like Jesus. We're still in 2020, though. The year isn't over. We get the diagnosis of, of the special needs, but then we walk through a pain in our marriage that um, we had never known before. But remember, God cares. It's in the Bible. I know it's true, but I struggle to believe it. And what my wife and I began to walk through during the same time was the gut-wrenching, emotionally draining pain of loving a prodigal. And this, again, tempted us to doubt God's care. I would be so in my sinfulness and in my fear that I would say, God, how? God, what good am I going to be in Japan for two years when I feel like 18 years of love and discipleship and outreach and family devotions... And on and on did nothing. And I would speak in front of teenagers, 1,500 teenagers, and I'd say, God, who am I? Like, why would I get up and, and, and preach to 15 teenagers for 45 minutes when I feel like such a failure with my own teenager? This was my flesh and my fear talking. Believe me, God was faithful to convict me and correct me. But it was so... Such a deep uh, attack because it came so close to the everything that was the substance of my faith. When opening the Bible would bring back painful memories. Um, when reading Colossians 1 just reminded me of memorizing that chapter as a family. And then feeling like, well, that was just what good was it now? When singing a song in church and just having to check out. Because I could remember it was one of his favorite 
songs. Say, God, how are you caring for me in this season? And then I have glimpses, moments of Holy Spirit clarity. And I can almost imagine God saying, Dylan, it's been so good to hear from you. And in my suffering, I start to do a spiritual inventory. Have I prayed more the last two years? Yeah, probably more than the rest of my Christian walk combined. Have my wife and I walked through scripture and prayed and read through books together more than ever before in our marriage? Yes. Has this trial purified my faith? Yes, because this trial and this season for maybe the first time has caused Christianity to become very inconvenient for me. It was very convenient to be a Christian. All my friends were Christians. Everyone in my household worshipped the Lord. And it was just so easy to be a Christian. But God cared about me enough to put me in a season where I had to look and examine the nature of my faith. Christianity brought havoc to a relationship that was so precious to me. And there was times I wanted to take the Bible and just edit out all the hard parts. It would be a little Bible. And I wanted to just make it more palatable. I really, really, summer of 2021, I really would look at my Bible sometimes. It's like there's stuff in here that I believe that's preventing me from having intimacy and relationship with people who I love. And I felt just like Peter When the Lord asked him in John 6, I believe, you know, are you going to leave too? Jesus had said some hard things and many people walked away. And Peter looked at Jesus and said, where else can I go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. To change anything of God's word and to change what you believe for the sake of another person is making them an idol in your life. It's, and they will be a poor, they're a horrible savior because they can never be that. God cares enough. And don't let your suffering cause you to doubt God's care. Because God cares enough to put us in seasons where our faith has to become real because it's all we have. And ultimately, and I hate that I have to go faster on this, is that um, there is a gospel layer to this psalm, and some of you already know that, that this psalm, many verses of this psalm are applied to Jesus. Because do you know who the supreme and perfect Psalm 8 man is? It's Jesus. Amen. Because I, I love that what it moves on into, to me, is the gospel. Because it says, you have made him, verse 5, a little lower than heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. Now, we know there's a layer of this psalm that applies to the beautiful order of God's creation. I wish I could go into detail about the imago Dei, the image of God, the dignity that we have as human beings, that we're the the pinnacle of God's creation. We have this ability to reason and to worship. And God has put in a created order that when we follow God's created order, the world seems to work. 
as best as it can in, in a fallen world. But if you turn into your Bible to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, you'll see there's something so much more beautiful about this psalm. And that is that these verses are applied to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 7. We'll read through verse 9. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Amen. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. This is the gospel in Psalms chapter 8. You made him a little while lower than angels. This is the incarnation. Jesus, God in human flesh, becomes an embryo. And I will add, in the womb of a teenage girl with an unplanned pregnancy, which is now the most dangerous place to be in the world. Jesus comes to that place. And he develops. And he's born And he's God become flesh. And he truly lives as the perfect man who has glory and honor. Jesus walks with dignity. He lives in perfection. He never sins. Serves. He teaches. He leads. He lives with total dignity, obedience to God in every way, in all the ways in which we fell. He was the true fulfillment of Psalm 8. And then Jesus takes a crown of thorns, takes our sin, so that he could crown us with the glory of his righteousness through repentance and, and faith in the gospel. To say, yeah, Jesus, you took a crown of thorns so you could crown me with the glory of resurrection and righteousness through faith in you. Where are we at now? Well, we're all all the way into the gospel. And it says he puts all things under his feet. Even death is defeated. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 15, which says so much about the resurrection of Jesus, also quotes from this psalm and applies it to Jesus. So now, where am I left to question God's care for me? How dare I question God's care for me? What more could I possibly want from God than his fact that he gave his son for me? So even if I don't understand or don't even see how God's care is making me more like Jesus, there's something even stronger than that. There's a foundation that says, of course, God cares. Jesus is the proof. And and this whole process of sanctification is not cute. I mean, it's even though it's hard, it's much easier to preach in a sermon than to actually walk out. But it is true that he cares enough to sanctify us. And to point us back to the gospel. And then verse 9, it ends again with, O Lord, which is, uh, if you notice your Bible probably has Lord in all caps. That would be Yahweh, 
And then it says, our Lord, like Adonai, king, saying, oh God, our king, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And now we finally got where I was trying to go, which is the, what should be the heartbeat of missions, both locally and globally. One thing to understand, God's name is majestic in all the earth right now. Regardless if I take a step towards Japan or not, and I mention that specifically because that's where we're going, God's name is majestic there. It's glorious. Why? Because he's the Lord of all. But then there's another layer to the praise of God's name, specifically through the praise of God's people. And this is only possible because of Jesus, that this message of hope and redemption comes to this little place in Jerusalem and then goes on to reach the entire world. That the heartbeat for missions is the glory of God's name. And we will not be empowered to live our life missionally if we don't have confidence that God is relational, that he's Oh, Lord, our Lord, because what are you inviting people into? We're not inviting them into a a church or a small group or to adopt our worldview, right? That's not primarily. We are inviting people and calling people to a restored, reconciled, living and active relationship with God. Because remember, everyone has a relationship with God. Everyone has a relationship with God because he made you. But what we're calling people into is a restored and reconciled relationship with God. And briefly, I'll I'll try to tell you um, how our life ended up intersecting with Japan because there's a lot of burdens in the world. And I think one setback of the digital age is we have we're exposed to so many problems. Things that 20 years ago, 30 years ago, only a small maybe community of people would know about. Now everyone in the world seems to know about it. And it's too much to bear sometimes all the hurt and pain and suffering in the world because not one person can fix it, right? That's why it just takes the church, us together, many members, one body. But there are times God in his providence will cause your life to intersect with the need of another's. And in those moments... Delayed obedience is disobedience. And what I thought was a brief uh, seven-day trip to Japan, that's what was in February of 2020. Uh, our lives intersected we, uh, with what was going on in Japan. We got a message. Um, Malia really got us into this mess because uh, two days before I got a message from this pastor I'd never heard of before, Malia tells me, Japan is my favorite country, and I'm going to go there on a senior trip, to which I replied, you're homeschooled. I don't even know if you get a senior trip. Um, two days later, a pastor there messages me and says, hey, you know, your, your music has, has, has blessed us, and if you ever can come here, then we could set you up to do outreaches, and we did. I mean, there was people who came to his church that he's invited for, you know, five years, and they've never came, but they, they came out of curiosity of an American rapper, you know, being there. And uh, I didn't, going there, I didn't have a desire to learn Japanese. I knew I was going for months. I'm like, whatever, we'll wing it. 
that wasn't a good idea. Um, almost got lost in the airport. And, and we did multiple things. We did outreaches. We did ministry within the church. Um, we did Sunday school stuff. My wife had like a, a lunch with some of the, the women in the community. And we came back home. And I just felt this burden that I couldn't shake. I, I didn't realize that Japan was one of the most unreached people groups. didn't know that by some numbers they're around 1% or a little less evangelical. I didn't know that right now with the amount of missionaries in Japan, it would, for, for all of Japan to be reached with the gospel, roughly each missionary would need to share the gospel with 50,000 people. From a numbers perspective, there's such a need for more missionaries. And some family is really mad at me, you know, for taking us away. And they say, Dylan, you need to stay in America. We're America's. We need people here. I say, yeah, we do. I said, but America has an obedience problem. <laughs> Even more than just a missionary problem. And what I mean is that if those who profess Christ would just be obedient America would be reached, but in, in Japan, from just a numbers point, you are so far removed from the opportunity to have a gospel conversation. You think about how many testimonies you hear. You had a teacher who showed you the love of Christ and showed you the gospel. You had a coach. You had a coworker. You had a boss. You had, there's all these points of contact that we're blessed to have here in Oklahoma that you're only a moment away from a gospel conversation, you know. But that opportunity in Japan is, is so, so, so unlikely. And as I, I talked to Ryan, who was a missionary in France, you know, I wanted him just to give me like a clear point, like this is how I know that I know that I know. And I said, well, I just, it's so needed. And he said, no, the gospel is needed everywhere. You can't go, you can't just choose to go somewhere because it's needed because you're needed in Ada, you're needed in Oklahoma. You have to go where you're called. You know, Calvinists start getting weird about that word, man. Calling, well, how do I know if I'm called? You know, I'm reminded that what I felt coming back from Japan, most people don't. And I knew that my feeling, there was nothing in it that contradicted God's word. You know, you gave a sermon, might have even been a Wednesday night, on God's will, determining God's will for your life. And it was just so helpful for us um, because I think, well, it's a good thing to want to spread the gospel. And, and then the next thing Ryan said, do you have a desire? Yes. You know, and then he said, well, do you have opportunity? And there was a church there that their missionary that was there left the field in May of 2020. And um, there's been a huge need there. The pastor does everything. He teaches Sunday school. He teaches Wednesday nights. He does students. He uh, Leads worship and then puts the guitar down and preaches. He does the English classes. That's one of the big ways the church reaches into the community is through English classes. And there was a great uh, opportunity for me to come and serve. And then whenever we actually started moving forward um, in uh, August, September of last year, the Lord really just provided um, from all the paperwork being approved in a way that the pastor had never seen paperwork approved before to someone wanting to rent our home from us, fully furnished, you know, so we don't have to take our couches and our beds out. Everything can stay there. And, and God began to just open doors. And I'm like, I'm actually like, I'm just looking for a closed door at this point so I can just slow this down. And then God would open the next door. And people here have su supported us. And, and now 
we are moments away from going, and the kids aren't really excited anymore. You know, they're sad um, because it is a hard thing to leave this community and to leave our friends, but you can never be so attached to what God might be calling you from um, that you neglect to move forward to what God is calling you to. And now, with everything that I've learned about the gospel and witnessed here, I know that I can't effectively tell someone about Jesus if I don't treasure him. And reading Psalms 8 and being reminded that God cares for me, that God's mindful of me, it causes me to treasure God. And I know if I treasure something so greatly that it's just going to spill over into my conversations, that it's just going to shine through the darkest moment in my life. And I think that's, you know, and this is probably like a remix of a John Piper quote, but I think that's what missions is, just to treasure God so deeply that it just overflows into sharing the treasure that you found. Um, amen? Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And so, you know, no one be scared. Don't shoot me. I'm just getting a ukulele to the security team. I promise. Here it is. I don't know what channel I'm on, but maybe just mute it for a second. You know, this is a, speaking of humility, just try being a grown man and holding one of these things. That's why I chose this instrument. It's impossible to be prideful about playing it. You just always feel humbled. Um, I wanted to close uh, this message. One way we'll also be serving the church is just through worship and, and song. And so I wanted us to sing a song that our church knows. And uh, Malia knows more Japanese than any of you, I'm pretty sure, so she's going to run the slides. Can y'all hear that? Okay, so this is how deep the Father's love, don't worry. If you want to go to the first slide, Malia. See, we're going to start in English, and then we'll build up into Japanese. And I know I'll feel very alone when it comes to the Japanese part, but you can just read along, okay? How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make the wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one. Bring many sons to glory. Go ahead, Malia. I'm giving you all time to look at it. Think it through. If you see an A, that's always A. If you see an I, it's always E. If you see a O, it's O. U is U, and E is E. So now you know how to speak Japanese. Here we go. Oh no, yo ni hitori go. 
está caminho aí no que salva a carisirena e judica no iesuka kurushimareru no saerare nami Welcome back to America. gospel. We thank you for um, your church, both locally and worldwide, Lord. We, Jesus, we want your name to be praised and seen as worthy and majestic in all the earth, Lord. So I pray that our church would continue to have a heartbeat um, to treasure you and their relationship with you so deeply that it affects the way we talk to others and serve this community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> 